In the early church, the leader would say, Christ is risen. And the response would be, Christ is risen indeed. Christ is risen. And it's my prayer that you can answer, Christ is risen indeed, in your own hearts. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Tonight we're going to turn this studio into a church. And I'm so glad you've joined us. My name is Hal Brady, and I want to welcome you to this ministry. As always, my prayer is that the word and the music will be a blessing to your life. Would you hear now, please, the reading of God's Word from Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, beginning at verse 13. Hear the Word of God. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priest and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find the body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it's almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, and while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me for a word of prayer? O oh God, your will be done. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. We thank you for this opportunity, and we thank you for the people who are gathered with us. It's in your name. Amen. The hymn writer put it like this. Open my eyes that I may see. Glimpses of truth thou hast for me. Place in my hand the wonderful key. That shall unclasp and set me free. Silently now I wait for thee. Ready, my God, thy will to see. 
opened my eyes, illumined me, spirit divine. Two disciples were walking home to Emmaus on that Easter Sunday afternoon. To be sure, their hopes and dreams had vanished. The one on whom they had pinned their messianic expectations had been horribly crucified. We had hoped he was the one, they said. We can hear their sadness and desperation. In addition, that very morning, some women had gone to the, to the graveside and said that they found the tomb empty. And an angel had said to them that he was alive. But since nobody had seen him alive, these two disciples decided to go back home to Emmaus, some seven miles from Jerusalem. Now, as these two disciples walked along the road, we are told that Jesus drew alongside and walked with them. But unfortunately, unfortunately, as the writer of Luke reminds us, they didn't recognize him. They saw him only as a stranger. Beloved, I simply cannot think of a greater tragedy to have the Lord of the universe in our company and we fail to recognize him. God in Christ, God in people, God in our, God hungers, God with us, and we fail to recognize him. Robert Raines writes in his book, Living the Questions, standing off and looking into the glittering darkness, his friend said, I love the mystery. I don't have to know who or what is there. To be sure, there are times when we do not need to know what or who is in the mystery, but there are other times we do need to know the presence of the living Christ. There's a familiar story of a minister giving a children's sermon in a church one Sunday. And this particular minister had four eggs, the kind of eggs that you can take apart and see what's inside. And so the minister asked the children, what do you think is in this first egg? It has something to do with the Easter story that you see in the sanctuary. And they identified it correctly. They said the cross. He pulled up the second egg and he said, what's in this egg? It has something to do with Jesus dying on the cross. And they identified it correctly as nails. And then he said, what is this other egg? It has to do with the burial of Jesus. And they identified it correctly as his tomb. But then the minister said, well, what about this fourth egg? There was silence. And finally, one little boy said, well, give us a clue. Give us a clue. Now, Christ comes among us, and we don't recognize him. We're not the ones that cause his presence among us. He appears among us. But he wants us to recognize him for sure as he follows us and tries to get in touch with us. He wants us to recognize him. What I'd like to do for a few minutes is just mention several ways that we might recognize his presence when he comes among us. First of all, dismiss your preconceived notions. Dismiss your preconceived notions. One of the strangest things about this story is these two disciples walking home to Emmaus on that Sunday afternoon. Weren't these two disciples part of the disciples that had lived with him for three years? They had listened to him, watched him, learned from him, dined with him, and they had paid attention. Weren't they the same ones? And yet now they're moving away, going back toward Emmaus. Why? Preconceived notions. Preconceived notions as how, of how God would or would not act. You know, years ago I read a little book called Your God is Too Small by J.B. Phillips. This book was about how we perceive of God. God in a box, God as a resident policeman, God as an old man in the sky. When I read that book, it suddenly dawned on me I was limiting God. 
I was making God into a small domesticated little God. And I'm afraid that's what many people are doing with the God of the resurrected Jesus. They've made him or are making him into a tame domesticated little God. Now it really shouldn't surprise us that these two disciples didn't recognize the resurrected Jesus. As Edmund Steinle, former professor at Union Theological Seminary said, they didn't recognize him as the crucified Jesus when he was alive. How do you expect him to recognize the crucified Jesus who was raised from the dead? So they didn't recognize him because he was the crucified one that they had not recognized before. We're told that they all forsook him and fled. And then Jesus came to them on the Emmaus Road in such a common, everyday manner. In such a common, everyday manner. Where were the angels singing? Where was the resurrection glory? Where was that bright light, Allah St. Paul? He came to them in such a common, everyday, ordinary fashion. These disciples didn't recognize him because of their preconceived notions of how God would or would not act. There's a story about a young man who found his wife in the kitchen. He went in there and she was actually cooking a roast. She cut the roast in half and put the roast in two pans and then put them in the oven. He asked her how she cooked them that way. Why did she put the roast in two pans? Cut it up that way. She said, well, she'd always done it that way. But he persisted. She said, well, my mother has done it that way. She would take the roast, cut it into two pans, put it into two slices, put it in the pans, and put it in the oven. Well, the husband followed up with her mother-in-law. How in the world had she did, had done this all her life? And she said, well, it's my grandmother did it that way. So when they asked the grandmother why she had cut the roast, put it in two pans, and put it in the oven, she simply said, it's because I never had a pan big enough to hold an entire roast. So much for preconceived notions. It kept these disciples from recognizing Jesus. And then secondly, invest in the scripture. Invest in the scripture. Some years ago, a man was telling about the time that he took his little children to a store to shop. They saw one of these backyard play sets. And of course, it was a deluxe job. It had everything. It had swings, it had the seesaw, it had everything you could imagine. So the children fell in love with it, so they ordered one. The next day it arrived, and the minister said it was really unassembled. He said, you couldn't believe how unassembled it was. It had parts, thousands and thousands of parts. There was a little booklet above, and he just threw that away. But he said he worked for hour upon hour, but he never could make that backyard playset look like the one on the box. He said he continued to work and his children started getting restless. They wanted to know why it was taking so long, when they could get on, that Sally's dad hadn't taken near that long. So he said he continued to work. But finally he said he saw a little yellow card. And that little card said something like this. He said, By the way, when all else fails, read the instructions. That's a parable for us. And that has something to do with the importance of the Scripture. A second way we might recognize Christ is by intensely involving ourselves in the Scripture. After listening to the disciples, listening to their ups and downs and their despair, we're told that Jesus chided them. This is what he said, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Now Jesus spoke to these travelers from the Scripture. He went back through the entire Old Testament prophecy concerning himself. 
He told them everything about it as he finally said, you know, if this hadn't happened, God could not have saved the world. Notice this, and this is extremely important. Jesus did not rebuke these disciples for not believing the resurrection. He rebuked them because they didn't accept the scripture. He did not rebuke them because they did not believe in the resurrection. He rebuked them because they failed to accept the scripture. Beloved, the Bible is the Christian's textbook. It is the norm for all of our living and practice. It tells us what God's will is for our lives. It is the final authority by which all theologies are tested. The Bible is the one that tells us about Christ. It tells us what we are to proclaim and what we are to preach. The Bible is absolutely necessary. Not long ago, there was a group that decided to have a Bible study, and so they were going to have it on Sunday afternoon. Most of these people were Christian educators, and so they gathered on Sunday afternoon. It was a good crowd, and the preacher told them what a good crowd it was. They had originally wanted to have it on Saturday, but because the local home team was playing a football game, they decided not to. Well, the next morning, the team was really reported it had done well. It was reported in the paper. And so when this preacher got up to teach the lesson, he said to them, how many of you read about the game? Half the hands went up. He said, how many of you read the Peanuts column? It also had something about football, a theme there. How many of you read that? Two-thirds of the hands went up. And then he said, how many of you people have read the Bible today, some portion of the Bible? There was coffee and pink faces as a few hands went up. Now, this is strange. Here these people were. They wanted to know more about the Bible. They wanted to study the Bible, and yet they were not in the habit of reading the Bible every day. Beloved, we need to invest ourselves in the Scripture to learn more and more about the Scripture by this very serious investment of ours. So the Bible is important, very important. One of my friends, a fellow by the name of James Moore, said that you cannot learn the Bible in three minutes. He said, you cannot learn the Bible just by jotting here and jotting there. He said, but there are some handles that you can get a grip on that will help you to learn the Bible and the Bible to get a hold of you. He said, the first of all is the creation. This is the way it all started. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Second, covenant. Get a hold of this word covenant. God made a binding agreement with humankind. He would be God and these humankind people would be his people. It was a covenant. And then thirdly, Christ. Christ, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In Christ, God was reconciling humankind. And so finally, the word was church. Church. We need to understand that the church is supposed to continue living and teaching and preaching and healing in Jesus' name. How do we check ourselves and test ourselves in terms of whether we're doing all right by our living is by the Bible. In a memorial service, a preacher got up and was giving a lesson, and he also had the lady's Bible that he was memorializing. Her Bible was held together by silver duct tape. This woman had studied the Bible so much and had spent so much time with it that she had to hold it together with duct tape. She had marked in it with a marker every one of the promises of God, and by those promises she had written, This I count on. Study the Scripture. If you're going to recognize Jesus Christ, then study the Scripture. And then thirdly, look for him in the ordinary. Another way we can recognize Jesus is by looking for him in the ordinary. Look for him in the ordinary. 
Jesus comes to these disciples on the Emmaus Road in such a common, everyday manner. Again, where were the angels? Where was the resurrection light? Where was the Allah St. Paul conversion experience on the Damascus Road? He simply came to them in common, everyday ways. He even came as a stranger. As a matter of fact, what makes this particular Emmaus story so remarkable is how unremarkable it really is. Now, I can understand Jesus appearing to the eleven. I can understand Jesus appearing to the women because the church was being established and reestablished. But I can't really understand why he would appear to Clepas and his friend on the Emmaus Road. They are nobodies. They don't even understand the, the mission. And yet I read where somebody said, those people, Clepas and his friend, represent us. They represent us. God coming to us in the ordinary ways of everyday life. I read about a Welshman who every day for 40 years would drop a love letter once a week under the door of a neighbor. He and this neighbor, she was a woman, this neighbor had had a falling out 40 years ago. But every week he would drop a love letter under her door. After 2,184 love letters, he finally knocked on her door. He asked her if she would marry him. And she said, yes. You know, that's the way God is. God is like that. He drops little love letters under our door. He knocks on our door in ordinary, common ways. So some of us say, you know, this Jesus thing has never happened to me. I've never experienced Jesus. This has never happened to me. Don't be too sure. Don't be too sure. Sometimes it's just a love letter. Sometimes it's just a, an ordinary way on an ordinary day in our ordinary life that he visits us and lets us know how much he loves us. Now, the president of Mercer University in the past was a fellow named Kirby Godsey. Kirby Godsey said that he came to know God through the person and the power and the grace of his grandmother. I want to share with you what he wrote about his grandmother. This is very, very touching. His, his grandmother's name was Janie. Janie was a remarkable woman with a presence that made every room she entered a good place to be. So long before an understanding of Jesus came along for me, I met God up close in the ways of a woman named Janie. So let me repeat again. We may say, oh, that's never happened to me. That's never happened to me. Jesus thing has never happened to me. But don't be too sure. Look for him in the ordinary. And then finally, act out your redemption. Act out your redemption. A fourth way we may recognize Jesus is by acting out our redemption. You know, we're told that those disciples and the stranger were moving on as they came to Emmaus. And it looked like to the two disciples the stranger was going on. So they did something that it, they had never done before. They acted out their redemption. They invited him in to have supper with them. Now remember, they did not recognize Jesus in the discussion on the road. They recognized him when they sat down for the meal. They invited a stranger to have a meal. And that's how they recognized him. And as far as Robert McAfee Brown is concerned, that was the turning point of the whole experience when they acted out their redemption. There was a doctor by the name of Dr. Carlos Rambo. He was a medical missionary in Turkey. One day a Mohammedan woman came to him and it was determined she needed an immediate operation. So Dr. Rambo operated. And for the next several weeks, this Mohammedan woman fought for her life. Finally, she pulled out of it. And as they were getting ready to dismiss her, Dr. Rambo had been in and out of her room many times, day and night during that experience. As he was walking her down the hall to, to bid her goodbye, 
She turned to him and said this, Thank you, Jesus. And she walked away. Dr. Rambo ran after her and he said, Listen, though I'm trying to be like Jesus, I'm not Jesus. She just looked at him and said, Goodbye, Jesus. You see, she had seen the risen Christ in the redemptive action of Dr. Rambo. So dismiss your preconceived notions. Invest in the scripture. Look for him in the ordinary and act out your redemption. Let us pray. Lord, we're grateful again for the assurance that you love us and you come to us and you want to live within us. Help us, O oh God, to get beyond ourselves and to be willing to see you in the ordinary, to be willing to act out our redemption and dismiss our preconceived notions and speak to us in the scripture and we'll be sure to give you the praise and the glory for all things. Amen. Thank you again for watching this broadcast. I pray you'll continue to be with us and I pray that you'll have a very good night tonight. It's in his name, of course, that I invite you. Good night. Oh, he watches me. His eyes on the And I know he watches me. I sing because I'm happy. I see.